1: welcome to the barnyard with steve robertson as always i am your good friend and host steve robertson here on the maroon friday edition of the yard hope it's a payday for you maybe it is for you bi-weekly and weekly wage earners perhaps today is the magic day hope you have a chance to get out go have some fun go do something cool besides pay bills That's one things in life is you get a little bit older. You reach those points in life where it's like you feel like all you do is work to pay everybody else. I hope that you get a chance to treat yourself a little bit. We treated ourselves last night. Took the kids to see the Memphis Grizzlies play the Detroit Pistons. My kids, these kids, had never been to an NBA game. Had a blast. I got a younger kid that uh, is an NBA, self-admitted NBA nerd. Think he likes the NBA more than anything. Listens to podcasts about the NBA. About mock drafts, that sort of stuff keeps up with it. Had a great time. We had never been to an NBA game before. I can promise you, it won't be the last time we go. Had a great time. The Grizzlies really do it right. They've won seven in a row. How about that? What fourth in the standings right now? I believe correct. Pistons not doing nearly as well. But it was good. It was a great time. And it's you know that's the thing about an NBA game. There's always something going on. Like even during the timeouts, there's always like games and. You know there's exhibitions there's dance there's all kind of stuff it's a great atmosphere if you haven't been let me encourage you to go be safe be cautious but get out and have a good time some news to report to we have learned earlier in the day that former wide receiver quentin Torberg, i guess he's still a wide receiver he's just not at mississippi state anymore has entered the ncaa transfer portal this is not a surprise, and that's the thing, too, I go back to. It's like I read this stuff sometimes, you know, on social media, and people suggest, oh, well, you know, the sky is falling. The sky is not falling, guys. Quentin Torber, who is a great young man, was the guy that was pretty much highly coveted by Jim Moorhead and his staff, committed to state very, very early, kind of got the ball rolling for us, and has not played at all, has not recorded a catch, in his three years on the mississippi state campus of course he redshirted his first year didn't play last year during a COVID year we saw some flashes from him uh, during the fall thought he might have an ch- opportunity to get on the field this year uh, again did not record a, a catch this year so three years of action didn't record a catch now that's not going to stop this segment of the fan base oh steve something's got to be wrong no nothing's wrong you get a short time in life to play sports The clock is ticking and it's not you know for guys that necessarily have NFL aspirations I mean you know it's like hey I've had a great time here I got three years in but I'm obviously not going to play here and so let me go find a place to play let me go get on the field playing is fun having a chance to contribute and be able to get out there and play the sports you love is fun you know if all you ever do is work out and practice and you never get the payoff it's frustrating it is, and take that from a uh, you know high school benchwarmer football player. Yeah, I decided to play something else, and so we wish Quentin Torboard the absolute best. Another fine young man. As I mentioned with Calvin McMillian and Aaron Odom, these guys are not being like you know pushed out of the program due to some character issues. Just not the case at all. You know, sometimes you find out. Hey, you know, listen, there are guys around me that are better. Chances of me playing here aren't going to be very good so i need to go find a place to play it's a difficult decision i think that is the good thing about the NCAA transfer portal is to give guys a chance to get out and go get going you know the reality of it is is there's a uh you know good side and a bad side to all of this this is a good one you can say well you know with steve we're losing another player well really the benefit for us is it opens up a scholarship for perhaps a player that could contribute And it's obvious at this point Quentin's not going to contribute at Mississippi State. And so everybody wins in this situation. He gets a chance to go somewhere else where he can contribute, and Mississippi State gets an opportunity to sign another player that can come in and contribute here. You know, I hate to say it this way, but at times, you know, you get get some dead weight on the roster, and it's probably a good thing that they want to go somewhere else rather than ride the scholarship rolls and then the university pay for their education and then them not fully contribute to what's happening on the football field. And so, Quentin Torbor, again, a great young man. Wish him the absolute best. And there will be some other transfers. We've been preparing for this for a while. We've been talking about this for about six weeks. We're expecting about a half dozen to go. You know, the only one that's been a surprise really is Aaron Brule. There's a couple other guys out there that have kind of been non-contributors that we expect to hit the portal here within the next week to 10 days. I think it's just a matter of time. So, when you see that take it in context don't freak out and think oh my gosh Steve what's happening here it's happening everywhere and this is what's going to happen basically every year in late December early January you're going to have a lot of guys go in the portal and they're going to find something else to do with their college careers it's not an indictment on Mississippi State it's not a criticism of you don't take it personally it's not a criticism of the football program or Coach Mike Leach and the staff. The reality of it is is that you got to go get on the field. Simple as that. you got to find a way to go play. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. I love going in there. I love getting the food to go. I love eating there. I think everybody does. It's an exciting place to go eat. Your kids, if you've mentioned to your kids tonight, hey, you guys want to go to Bulldog Burger Company? Yeah, dad. Yeah, mom. Let's G-O. They're going to want to go because there's so much fun food there. You can get the great spring rolls as your appetizer. Everybody enjoys that. It makes you and everybody around you better looking. The next segment of that, too, is you get that great restaurant quality hamburger that's why you go to bulldog burger company is to have those great restaurant quality burgers and maybe perhaps you know maybe mom dad thinking you know what hey i'm going to be a little health conscious today i'm going to have that blt salad you can get that grilled or fried it's the best salad in the golden triangle without question you get that chocolate shake to go perhaps get the Shipley donuts bread pudding you're already thinking about going right now. You're thinking, you know what, I wasn't sure about what, what dinner was gonna do for us tonight on Friday, but perhaps Bulldog Burger is the move. And I think Bulldog Burger Company is always the right move. Three great locations to serve you right here, University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and of course the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive, the Richmond Flowwood area. Still getting a lot of great reviews. People have said, you know what, Steve? Game day is kind of tough, or we tailgate on game day so we don't get to enjoy Bulldog Burger Company in Starkville. But you know what? They opened a location in central Mississippi right here in our backyard. We're having a blast. You will too. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, our top story. Mississippi State ladies with a big road win last night at the University of Alabama. And let's be honest, we had no business winning that ball game, but we did. Give Doug Novak and his crew a lot of credit. Ladies now 1-1 one one in SEC play. Of course, the uh, SEC opener against Florida was postponed. Then they lose on the road by a dozen at number one, South Carolina. And then they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And for a team that is essentially a bubble team for the tournament, anytime we can pick up a road win, that's great for us. Ladies, we back in action on Sunday against Vanderbilt, 2 p.m. in Humphrey Coliseum. That is an SEC Network Plus broadcast. Let's talk a little bit about the win over Alabama. You know, Doug Novak, you know, had some assistant coaches test positive for COVID. Uh, The team was without Rakia Jackson, and you still find a way to get a dub. That's getting it done. Bulldogs led by four after one, and by five at the break... Alabama cuts it to two after three quarters of play, and then the Bulldogs win the fourth quarter 14 13 and emerge with a 65 62 win over Alabama. Absolutely outstanding. 1,922 people attended. A lot of those folks are Bulldogs, and I love hearing this stuff too. You know, I was at the Grizzlies game, so I didn't get a chance to watch. I will plan to watch tonight, watch the replay. But to hear our fans on the road, Channing defense there in the fourth quarter. Says a lot about our fan base. It really does. And I know for those of you that could not attend, you appreciate those who did. Looking at the numbers here, Anastasia Hayes with 22 points for the Bulldogs. 9 of 17 from the floor. Played all 40 minutes. Uh, Jerkalia Jordan, 36 minutes of action. 7 of 15 from the floor. Knocked down one three-pointer. Pulled down seven rebounds. 16 points maya taylor kind of the straw that stirs the bulldog drink played 37 minutes despite having a a sprained ankle a lot of people thought she wouldn't return she did come back she is the driving force behind this team she's 6-12 from the floor knocked down a big three six assists two blocks seven steals 14 points that's pretty good like to see a few more assists there but yeah here's the deal maya taylor had a chance to go anywhere in the country, chose to be part of your program, little did we know that she was going to be part of basically a rebuild here at state. But I commend her for not going in the transfer portal. A lot of people would have. Say, hey, this wasn't the program I signed on uh, to be a part of. Then the coaching staff that I would have recruited me, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, when you have her postseason, or excuse me, her prep resume, she could have done that, but she stayed the course. I respect her for it. Denae Carter, who has kind of become a force for Mississippi State, at uh, number 25 these days, number 34, three of four from the floor, pulled down 10 rebounds, committed four personal fouls, but was able to avoid that critical fifth foul. Six points for her, but uh, great job on the defensive end and certainly uh, pulling down those rebounds. Seven of those defensive boards. Aislinn Hayes, 28 minutes of action, just one of five from the floor, Knocked down a couple free throws, four rebounds, uh, one block, a steal, and four points. State got just three points from the bench. Pretty thin bench, right? Only had eight players that that had any significant uh, minutes last night. Uh, Katerian Thompson, 19 minutes for her, just the three points. That rounds out your Bulldog scores. Uh, State off to a good start with 9 of 18 from the floor for 50%. They finished the game shooting 44.3%, the weakest quarter being the fourth, 4 of 11. Uh, there in the fourth quarter. Uh, 40 points in the paint, and uh, who'd have thought we had said that without Jessica Carter. 20 points off turnovers. Great job by the Bulldogs in that respect. Eight second-chance points, 16 on a fast break, and again, just the three points. Uh, the game was tied three times, and the lead changed eight. State had every opportunity to fold in this ball game; They absolutely do not. They hold Alabama to just 41.8% shooting, which is not a bad night. They're 37% from three. Alabama was 10 of 27. That'll get it done. Bulldogs were just three of 18. So we didn't defend the perimeter well, and we didn't execute offensively from the perimeter very well. But at the end of the day, we win the ballgame. Pretty great, pretty great, pretty great, pretty great. Uh, looking down the stretch here, and that was one of the things I was kind of keeping up with on my phone. As you know, State... Is up 58 57 after a free throw from Anastasia Hayes with 337 to go. And from there, State led the rest of the way. Maya Tether with a fast break layup made it 60 57 with 325. We knocked down a couple of free throws from Aislin Hayes with 232 to give State a five point advantage. And at that point, you feel like we're okay. Then we stretch it out even more. Anastasia Hayes with a point blank layup to make it 64-57. So the, the Bulldogs, a seven-minute lead with about a minute to go. Megan Abrams knocks down a big three for Alabama to pull them within four. State makes a free throw. Uh, my Taylor goes one of two there. Makes it 65-60 with just 10 seconds to play. And they add uh, Jemiah Mingo-Young, former Bulldog player, gets a layup up and in for the final basket of the night. And then, of course, State... Wins sixty five to sixty two. So uh, great night for the ladies. Now ten and four and one and one in the SEC. Alabama ten and four themselves one and two in the conference. And so not not a bad team. It's not like we went and beat a team that was uh, you know struggling to find a sense of themselves. This is a team that's won a lot of ball games. They were ten and three entering the game, a game ahead of Mississippi State in the overall standings. And the Bulldogs go win. At Coleman Coliseum. So congratulations to Doug Novak and the team. And a lot, a lot of positive social media traffic about the ladies from you guys. And uh, that's great, too. It, it's always great. Because, listen, let's be honest. Anything we get out of this season, we feel like it's probably a good thing. Right? And so when we get something good like this, that happens. You go on the road, and you're short-handed, and you still find a way to get a W. And you're missing your best player. And you're missing basically half of your staff. And you still find a way to go get a win. Says a lot about Doug Novak and says a lot about the character of these ladies. There's still a lot of pride in that uniform. We talked about that, you know, with LSU playing Kansas State in the Texas Bowl. They were undermanned. I mean, significantly. And they still went out there and played hard. They lost. But they showed a lot of pride in their uniform. And here's the deal. No matter what's happened in the last two years, this is a Mississippi State team that has played for a NAFL championship twice. This is a program that ended UConn's big winning streak. And so it's not just the Mississippi State women's program, maybe of the 1970s, or early 80s, or anything of that nature. This is a program that still has a lot of pride in it. And while we have had some ups and downs the past two years, there is still a lot of pride in a uniform. And there's also a lot of pride in each other. And so I commend the ladies and commend Coach Novak for, uh, for going out and getting it done. It's outstanding, man. It's an outstanding win for us. Now you've got a chance to go take on Vanderbilt at home. And I suspect we'll have a decent crowd there before we uh, get ready to go to Kentucky. We're going to get a Vanderbilt team coming in here. And um, yeah, pretty exciting times for us. Chance to go get a dub here. Uh, kind of looking at their women here just briefly to see you guys kind of well aware of what you're looking for when Vanderbilt comes to town. Uh, Vanderbilt 10-5, and 5, they have improved. You know They didn't play last year, but uh, you know, the last couple of years, Vanderbilt has kind of been a difficult uh, – putting on that Vanderbilt uniform and going and getting a dub, it's been difficult to do. They've won five games in a row. They begin the year with a 75-59 win over Gardner-Webb. They lose in Nashville to Arkansas Little Rock, then lose to Middle Tennessee. And then they kind of figured some things out took down Tennessee Tech, took down Jacksonville State. They lose by two in the Virgin Islands to Arizona. Bounce back to beat Rutgers and then lose by 17 to DePaul. They beat Chattanooga. They lose at Lawrence, Kansas, 74-67. They beat Albany, 52-41. They beat Prez, 81-57. They win in Philadelphia at St. Joe, 64-45. They beat Alabama State. They beat Arkansas in Nashville, and now they play us. And so again, a five-game winning streak. Arkansas, when you look at that, Arkansas, really the only team of any significance that really kind of uh, raises an eyebrow just a little bit because it is an SEC game. So we're going to have to go out there and play a good ball game. Now, do I expect to win the game? Yes, I do. I do expect to win the game, but this is certainly a team that's capable of beating Mississippi State if we don't play uh, our best game. They're eight and one at home. Good thing we're not playing them in Nashville. They're one and two away and one and two on a neutral floor, so two and four away from their home arena. And you know, to be honest with you, some of this competition, you know, outside of maybe Arizona, uh, you know, Kansas is a Power Five team as well. You know, a lot of these teams are not teams you would look at and say an SEC team should lose to. But you know, that's the thing I'll say about women's basketball is uh, there is a pretty big gap between the haves and the have-nots. And then there is that middle tier where things are kind of wild and crazy and anybody can beat anybody. This is kind of one of those games. If Maya Taylor is healthy, if Rakia Jackson is back, and we certainly hope that she will be, uh, you like Mississippi State's chances. So, again, celebrate the dub, excited about the ladies and what is to come. You know, we'll have a coaching change at the end of the year. And and now there's some people that say, you know, not within the administration, but some of our fans are thinking, you know, hey, if – If Novak can get these ladies to play, you know, maybe we should consider him. And maybe we should consider him. I I don't believe that he is a priority candidate at this point. That's not to say that if he puts together a great run here that he couldn't maybe play his way into contention. But at this point, I suspect that he won't be your next women's basketball coach. I think the interim label will stick. But he's kind of auditioning for the job now and got a couple big road games coming up. Of course, uh, you get Vanderbilt here, and you go to Kentucky, and then you go to Ole Miss, and Ole Miss playing exceptionally well right now. Uh, and, you know, they haven't beaten us forever in a day, and we all know that uh, that'll be their Super Bowl. So if you are a Mississippi State women's basketball fan, I know many of you are, but there are several of you that love to go to games on the road, uh, we're going to need you in Oxford there on January the 16th. That's just nine days from now. So if you're looking for something to do that weekend, because there will be no college football, long we're still a month away from college baseball. Maybe get out and go watch the ladies play and support them in Oxford there at the Pavilion as they take on uh, the Lady Rebels. Be nice to kind of keep that streak intact.
0: Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Feels like progress. The Chime credit bill, visa credit card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out of network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details.
1: All right. Perfect game came out with their preseason uh, baseball poll for the 2021-20, excuse me, 2022 season. Uh, I'm not going to run the whole thing down like we did the collegiate baseball poll, but uh, let me just run down some important things for you. I'm not going to break down every team like we did. Uh, but number 25 in the poll, Liberty. How about that? 24, Long Beach State. That's going to be your season-opening opponent for Mississippi State. So you will get a top 25 opponent right out of the gate. That's going to be an improved team. Florida at 23. Nebraska at 22. Tennessee, 21. Tennessee, of course, finished the year ranked seventh last year in the same poll. UC Irvine at 20. Oregon at 19. Miami at 18. The hurricane, expect to be better this year. And they always should be. There should always be a lot of talent in South Florida. UCLA at 17, Oklahoma State 16, Florida State at 15. That's on reputation. Florida State finished unranked last year. You may recall they went to the Oxford Regional and uh, lost. Arizona, uh, 14th in the poll. I think that's a bit high considering all they lost. Of course, Jay Johnson uh, leaves to go to LSU and takes a lot of great players with him. Arizona finished 8th in the poll last year, 14th in the preseason. East Carolina, 13th, finished 12th last year. It's interesting to me, uh, ECU kind of always just kind of hangs around as a solid mid-major, but they just can't quite get there. Uh, number 12, Texas Tech, finished unranked last year. I don't know that that's fair. You remember they got in as the eighth top eight national seed last year and then didn't didn't make it to Omaha. But uh, I'm a big Timmy Tadlock fan. They're going to be able to swing it. They always do. They recruit that offense exceptionally well. Uh, Georgia Tech, number 11, probably in the last Decade or so of the non SEC teams, I would say Georgia Tech is probably the most overrated. They go 31 and 25 last year. They do return a lot, but I think to expect them to be near the top 10 is probably incorrect. Uh, Ole Miss, number 10 in the preseason poll. I told you guys Ole Miss is going to be able to swing it. The whole issue with them is going to be like last year. Will the pitching hold up? Well, you don't have the frontline pitching on the weekends you did a year ago, and your bullpen issues really haven't been addressed. So, basically, Ole Miss is going to outscore some teams, but when they get into those pitching duels, it's going to be difficult. Arkansas, ninth. End of the year, number nine. Enter the year, number nine, this year. TCU, ranked eighth. End of the year, 22nd. I'm eager to see what happens here. You know, Slosh left and went to AM. and And so, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, TCU was a team last year, in many respects, was – considered by many to be one of the softer of the top eight national seeds, and of course they were ahead of us in the poll, and they were the first top eight national seed to be eliminated from the tournament. And then Schwarzenegger has left, so we'll see. NC State, number seven. I think that might be a little bit sympathetic after what happened last year. They finished the year ranked fourth in this poll. They begin the year seventh. Uh, Elliot Avant, those guys do a great job out there. I just don't know with what they have coming back. They'll be a contender in the ACC, there is no doubt. But to have them preseason number seven almost seems like a bit of a gift. Mississippi State, preseason number six in this poll. Of course, Bulldogs, you're defending national champions. And then they have Notre Dame ranked ahead of us at five. Uh, let me go ahead and tell you, I, I don't think that's correct. I'm not saying State wins this thing. I'm not saying State wins the SEC. I think State's a better team than Notre Dame, though. Link Jarrett and his guys are doing a great job at Notre Dame. But when you lose Cavazos, it's a big deal. Now, defensively, they'll be a great team, but what are they going to do when they play on dirt? We saw number four, LSU, this this is a gift. LSU will be better. Are they the number four team in the country? I don't think so. And I think we talk about projections. This is a team that basically got into the NCAA tournament last year as a gift to Paul Maneri. Due to his long servitude in this great sport, and so they didn't deserve to be in the tournament, but they made the tournament. And so now we're going to make them preseason number four. That just doesn't seem right to me. And they, they finished 15th in the country last year. And, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Stanford in at number three. I like this team. I thought last year they were a little bit ahead of schedule. You know, they won some games, to say the least. Finished fifth in the country after making it to Omaha. This is a team that I think has the pieces and certainly the coaching staff to make a run. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point they are the Pac-12 pick to win the conference championship. I suspect they will. I suspect they'll be a top eight national seed. And depending on how the pairings work out, I could definitely see them back in Omaha. Uh, Texas number two. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. If I'm I'm voting in a poll, I got Texas number one because of what they return. Mississippi State, obviously, a better team than them last year, and they proved it on the field time and time again, beginning of the year, end of the year. You can't say, well, yeah, they caught us at a good time, and hey, we caught you several times, and we beat you all but once. Kind of gifted you that one, too, if you want to be honest about it. But I like this Texas team. They did lose a couple of big sticks. This is a Texas team that's going to have some pitching. This is a Texas team that's going to be able to play a little defense. I like Texas. I would have them ranked number one. But perfect game has Vanderbilt ranked number one. Uh, guys, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm, you know, this definitive expert on college baseball. But I suspect, and I've got the receipts and the uh, tax returns to prove it, I watch more baseball on the Southeastern Conference in person than anybody in this country. And based on what I saw, Vanderbilt is not the number one team in the East, not the number one team in the SEC, and certainly not the number one team in the country. I don't know if people realize what all they lost. I say, oh, well, you know, Steve, are going to have this. You know, you're know, going to have Bradford back. Yeah, I mean, you are. He's going to be back, and it's going to be incredible. But the reality of it is, is uh, Vanderb- you don't lose two first-round draft picks and then get better as a staff. You know what I'm saying? I don't care how well you recruit. You lose Kumar and Leiter. You're not going to be better as a staff. It's just not how it's going to work. That's just not how life... That's just not how it is. Now, Javier Vaz is back. You know, he's a senior. I guess he back. I guess that was last year. 21-22, yeah. Um, you know, so Vaz is a guy that, I, that was, you know, a decent player for them. But, uh, you know, he's not... He's not what I'd call a difference maker. You know, Carter Young is a guy that I really like a lot. And he had a really difficult postseason because people kind of figured out he had a hole in his swing. He really struggled with that four-seamer in. And we really made him pay for it. And, of course, he's the one that breaks up the no-hitter, kind of hit a little bleeder out there. Landon Sims knows that kid too, you know, from playing, uh, you know, summer league ball together and that sort of stuff. And then I hear that Dominic Keegan, the uh, former first baseman, might actually catch for them because they lost both catchers. So that'll be interesting. You know, so you've got some guys out here that, that have some, you know, have some reps, but you also have some guys out here that uh, need some experience. Enrique Bradfield is a guy, if we were talking about him earlier, I, I mispronounced the name, but Enrique Bradfield is a guy that's a freak of a defender. And you know what he is, you know, he's a bunter. If he can find a way to be a little bit better with the bat, be more of a doubles hitter, he could have a big year. He could have a big year for him. really could. Can he beat the Jake Mangum, you know, the table setter? You know, basically, when you let that game on first base, it's a double. You know. Phenomenal player. But they lose a lot around these guys, and that's the thing you look at. Are they a contender? Well, yeah. Are they number one? I don't think so. I really don't. And I think that there are some teams in the East that are a little bit undervalued right now. I think Florida is going to be better. And I know that, you know, our friends at D1 Baseball love them some Florida. But Florida is going to return a lot of pieces. They're going to return a ton offensively. If they can find a pitcher or two and Florida, always seems to have one. That's kind of Kevin O'Sullivan's calling card. You know, we'll see how things break down. But um, I wanted to take a look back, too, at the same poll a year ago. I know you guys kind of enjoy going back and looking at all this stuff. Let's go back and look at the preseason top 21 poll from Perfect Game. And, again, I'm not being critical of Perfect Game. I'm just – this is their poll. And so, number 25 last year was Central Florida. You know, didn't do so much. Georgia 24th, you know, didn't make the tournament. Ohio State 23rd. Nothing of real significance. Uh, Texas was preseason 22. Florida State, preseason 21. Arkansas was preseason 20. Uh, now let's be honest, we won an Apple championship last year, but from tape to tape, from Arlington through the regionals, would we all not agree that Arkansas was the best team in college baseball? I think we would. We, we wanted to play them again. We would have loved to play them again at Omaha. But for them to be 20, and I said on this very show last year when the media votes came out, I said, I think people are undervaluing Arkansas. I think people may be overvaluing Arkansas a little bit this year, but they're going to be good. As long as Dave Van Horn is there, they're going to be good. Number 19, Georgia Tech, we just discussed that. Georgia Tech, always overvalued. Michigan comes in at 18. They made the tournament, I believe they were like the last team in last year. Auburn was preseason 17 and finished last in the SEC. I guess they beat A&M. They finished sixth in the West. NC State was 16, so there was some expectations for those guys. Arizona State was 15, uh, not so much for them. Indiana was 14, no. East Carolina right there at 13 again. Again, just kind of an immediate part of the curve, just kind of riding the wave of being a mid-major. Mississippi State was preseason number 12. Arizona was 11 course, they, uh, you know, they made it to Omaha with us. UC Santa Barbara, a lot of people were big on them last year. They got hot late, too. Uh, they were a team that a lot of people thought that might emerge through the regional. They did not. UVA was nine. You know, we played them in Omaha. So they, you know, they're preseason number nine. They actually make it to Omaha. So that was a pretty good projection there. Because this is when it all starts to fall apart for this poll. LSU was eight. And anybody that knew anything about college baseball knew that LSU wasn't a top 10 team last year. He had no frontline pitching. You say, oh, well, Steve, they had Hill. Yeah, but see, that, that's a guy, too, that had never had to do it on Friday nights. You knew they were kind of a punch and Judy team that was going to struggle away from home. They did. Miami was preseason number seven. You can do the math on that. Preseason number six was Vanderbilt. Of course, they played for an NFL championship, so you could say that they certainly met expectations. Won the SEC. Or I guess they didn't win the SEC, did they? Either way, Um, Ole Miss was fifth, preseason number five. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but Ole Miss didn't make it to Omaha again. I was born in 1972 in July. Ole Miss has been to Omaha one time in my lifetime. And according to the preseason media, baseball people, this is the year every year. This is the year. You got culture problems at Ole Miss, you do. UCLA was preseason number four. A lot of people had expectations for that team. It didn't work out. Texas Tech was preseason number three. Louisville, preseason number two, didn't even make the tournament. And then Florida, of course, is preseason number one, one of the last teams in. So Arkansas won the SEC last year. That's right, uh, as we just talked about that. So, my point being is that you know and, and I've had this discussion on social media the last couple of days and I hearken back to a conversation that I had with a young John Cohen back in 1989 I've never forgotten this and I'm sure this with you guys before watching the Bulldogs play at Pete Taylor Park I was there getting my baseball card signed you know I was a Mississippi State baseball nerd I guess I still am and we we've been number one in the poll much of the year and we got beat we dropped a couple spots I said man I hated it we dropped for number one John Cohen looked at me and said you know what the only poll that counts is the last one and that's the one that we plan to be number one in. Didn't work out for us, but that's the mentality we should always have. You know, these polls are just for fans to give people like me and you something to talk about. And also to kind of go back in hindsight and say, hey, remember these guys? You know, remember these guys? <laughs> remember when you blew this? That's what's interesting, too, is like kind of looking at some of these numbers and jump off looking at last year. You know, Ole Miss, of course, the 2020 year we didn't get to we didn't get to finish, if you recall, but Ole Miss was 14th in the poll at the end of that year, and they rank them five in the preseason. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but whatever. But whatever. But yeah, but Ole Miss is going to be able to swing it for sure. But I like to look at these polls because there are always some teams like out west. Like I, I love watching Pac-12 baseball. Like when we go home. After covering a ball game at Dirty Noble, I'm always still in baseball mode. And I like to go home, and I put on pack 12 baseball. And I was, I've i always been a big Pat Casey fan. I told you guys my story about when he was at Oregon State, and I covered the Beavers when they were at the regional in Baton Rouge one year and how great he was to me. But I used to love going to watch those guys play, you know, and I like Oregon. I like Oregon State. I think at times, you know, Washington has had some decent baseball but there's no excuse that UCLA and USC isn't better than they are. I mean, honestly, I know a lot of those guys, those you know, California kids are a little bit prospecty. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're looking to get out of here and move on you know, with life. But it doesn't make any sense when you think a state as populous as California and as warm-weathered as California that you wouldn't consistently be a contender – recruiting Southern California who would want to go to Southern California and just so you guys know just to put things in perspective for you UCLA they've won one NAFL championship in their history that was against us in 13 they played for it twice much like us they have won championship they have been to the college world series five times that's it that's it they've won a regional six times that's it How does that happen at UCLA? It makes no sense to me. And John Savage has been there forever and a day. How do you not recruit kids to go play at Jackie Robinson Stadium? I don't understand it. But, you know, we'll see. There are a lot of things about Pac-12 baseball that, you know, when I watch those guys, I don't see – you know, when Oregon State had their run, you know, when Pat Casey and them were at their best – you look at those teams and say, you know what, hey, man, this looks like these guys have the look of an SEC team. You know, you got power at the corners. You have a dynamic catcher. You're, you're solid at the middle defensively. you got one or two solid weekend starters and then usually a third guy you can mix and match with. And, and that's where I think in order for the Pac-12 to get great, you got to start recruiting and, and playing the same style of baseball you play in the SEC. It's kind of the same thing when you look at the the Big 12. You know, the ACC is very similar to us. Big 12, really not so much. But the teams that are, teams like Texas Tech, teams like Texas, you go watch them line up and play against an SEC team, the people look similar. They do. We look similar. I'm excited to talk baseball, guys. Guys, we are about six weeks away from welcoming Long Beach State And just the fact that we just talked about that, this is a team that's expected to make an NCAA tournament. Got a chance to make a very, very strong opening statement. I love the schedule. I love how I'm already making my travel plans, like many of you. I'm already thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to make it to this game and this game and this game. My goal every year is to make every game. Doesn't always work out. You know, I didn't go out there and play – when we played Long Beach State back in 20. You know, that was, uh, was toward the end of that year for us. But I'll get a chance to see the dirt bags in person when they come here. But um, I'm excited about that. I mean, you know, looking at the, the early part of the schedule, we have a chance uh, to really get going. And, uh, and then you think, okay, once we finally leave home, because you know, we're going to open up with, what, eight games at home. And then how's this for a road trip? March 2nd, we'll be in Pearl. So we'll make the short drive down to Trust Smart Park and we'll play Southern Miss. Then we're going to come home, and then the Bulldogs are going to leave to go to Tulane. We'll be at Tulane that March 4th, 5th, and 6th, and instead of coming back that Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to get Texas Tech down there in Biloxi. Looking forward to seeing you all down there. We're going to find out an awful lot about our team the first 10 days of March. We're going to find out a whole lot about this team. Tulane's the team's expected to make the tournament, so they're missed expected to make the tournament, Texas Tech. Is a team that's expected to contend for the Big 12 championship. So we're going to find out what kind of pitching we got pretty early because we're going to be playing some teams that are they're going to see us as an RPI building opportunity. We're going to get their best shot. So looking forward to being a part of that. And you know what? We're Mississippi State. We're not just some team from Mississippi. We are Mississippi State baseball. And so everybody else knows that. And then this year, we are the defending national champion Mississippi State Bulldogs. So we are going to get everybody's best shot because everybody's going to say, hey, this is a team that's going to be in the tournament. This is a team that's been to Omaha three years in a row. This is a team that just won an national championship. Everybody is going to get up to play us. We can't afford to have a night off because nobody's ever going to lay down for us. Not going to happen. Just not how life works in college baseball. This is not like playing Alabama where you start just kind of playing for next week. Nope. It's a much different deal in baseball. Let's thank our good friend Blair Chandler. He's my friend. He's your friend. He's a friend in the industry. It always helps when you've got things that are complicated to have somebody to help guide you through that process. And that's Blair Chandler. When you're looking to refinance your mortgage or perhaps get a mortgage, get a second mortgage, a home equity line of credit, whatever, Blair's a guy to talk to. There are a lot of people that want your business. Blair's a guy that probably deserves your business. 21 years in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country. You're dealing with a winner. This isn't just somebody that wants your business. This is a guy that deserves your business. Works Fairway Mortgage recently named number one in customer satisfaction in the mortgage lending industry. Not some subprime lender. Not just somebody, some guy doing mortgages out of his basement. This is a mortgage professional. And if you are interested in doing some business in that industry, let me tell you this. Blair, because he wants your business, Blair, if you just mentioned to him that you heard about him on this show, whether it be by text or email, say, Blair, I heard, I heard your ad on the bond yard. want to support you. He, you know what? He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a five or $600 value. Pretty simple, right? There's a lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage closed. He's going to pick up some for you. Give Blair a call or text today, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. You can find more information at closewithblair.com. That's close, C-L-O-S-E, with Blair.com. And get your mortgage in the, in the pipeline today. Let's go ahead and get things rolling. Get your equity working for you. Consolidate some debt. Put in a pool, whatever you want to do. Let Blair help you with that. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by ClothesAblare.com. I have had multiple requests for this, and I wasn't sure how to handle this. My daughter is uh, someone that's really in the 70s music and 80s. Like every so often, she says, Daddy, I think the Eagles are incredibly underrated. And I said, Within your generation, you're probably correct. But all time, when you, old guys like me, we love the Eagles. We still love the Eagles. We loved every version of the Eagles. We liked the Glenn Frey songs. We liked the Don Henley songs. We liked the Timothy Schmidt songs. We liked the Jill Walsh songs. We liked them all. We like the Eagles. She likes Steve Miller Band. She likes Bob Seger and Some like an hey, A. This is pretty cool. And so recently we had a discussion. We talked about it again on a car last night. You know, her favorite singer, songwriter, Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks may be the best-selling alto of all time. Number one, she's incredibly talented. Number two, she's incredibly beautiful. And number three, her delivery and her vocal presentation is unlike anybody else. She's very unique. She's a classic voice. And has had the ability to put her emotion in words. And, of course, a lot of the better songs her and Lindsey Buckingham wrote together. And so I wanted to do uh, a Stevie Nicks list. And, and you can't do a Stevie Nicks list without incorporating some Fleetwood Mac. And so I picked some songs that she sang lead on. There are a bunch of other songs where she has, you know, huge parts. So I didn't pick all those. And, uh, matter of fact, there are three Fleetwood Mac songs that I wanted to mention as honorable mentions that I did not include in the top ten list. And, ironically, they all began with letter S, Seven Wonders, Sarah, and Silver Springs. But here we go, top 10, including some Stevie Solo stuff and then some legendary stuff that she sang Lead On with Fleetwood Mac. Number 10, this was on our top 40 list when I was DJing. It's Talk To Me, solo song for her, big, big hit for her. You Can Talk To Me. It's basically about, you know, when life's beating you up and you need a friend, you can talk to me. Number nine from the Fleetwood Mac days is Gypsy. And it's perfect that she sang that song because she's always kind of had that gypsy vibe herself. I love the song. I love the lyrical content. I think it's a great track, even without the vocal. It's just, it would have been an incredible instrumental. But you see, you're a gypsy. It's perfect. Number eight, sticking with some Fleetwood Mac stuff, is Gold Dust Woman. Great song. And again, it's almost like autobiographical. Number seven, and uh, my sister in law would have been named this instead of Amanda. Had uh, this song been released a month before, because my mother-in-law loved the song, but it's Rhiannon. And again, I love the vocal delivery on this one too. Stevie Nicks makes the song. I don't know that, you know, other people could have re- sung it and would probably have been great. This was just one that just seems to fit the pocket so well. Stevie did some solo stuff, too, some duet stuff as part of her solo career, kind of away from Fleetwood Mac. I've got a couple of those tracks on here, too. Number six with Don Henley. We mentioned the Eagles earlier. It's uh, Leather and Lace. It's a great tune. And, uh, you know, back in those days, this was like one of those super songs. I mean, you know, nowadays it's a little bit different. I guess in some ways we have kind of been desensitized when stuff happens because so much stuff happens nowadays. But, you know, we knew who Donna Henley was from the Eagles, and we knew who Stevie Nicks was, and she was beginning to dabble some of the solo stuff. And then word began to break that they had done a duet together, and so there was all this interest, and lo and behold, you know, it becomes a huge hit, Leather and Lace. Number six, number five, also from the solo career, it's Stand Back. The video is a little bit awkward. I don't know if we just didn't have enough room for her to, um, to move around a lot, but it's almost like she's walking backwards. But... uh stand back i like the vocal delivery on this one too and it's a little more up-tempo and so it's not like the fleetwood mac stuff other than the fact that that wonderful and beautiful raspy voice is what's singing along to you number four i reached out to my kids today and said hey we're doing stevie today on the top 10 give me your favorites and annie says hey you, you got to include the scene from school of rock well of course that's edge of 17 and I do, if, you're, if you have not watched School of Rock, I just wonder, what are you doing with life? And I, my hope is that School of Rock will inspire a new generation of young people to pick up instruments and not like auto-tune stuff and keyboards and that sort of stuff. Go get some real instruments and go beat some drums or play bass and learn a couple of riffs on the guitar. But there's a great scene when Dewey Finn, who is Jack Black, Takes the principal to get a beer. And then he plays Edge of 17 because he had found out during his own surveillance and uh, his own due diligence that the principal loved Stevie Nicks. So there you go, number four, Edge of 17. Number three, another one of these power duos. This is one of the great Stevie Nicks songs, even though she doesn't sing the full vocal. But it stopped dragging my heart around with Tom Petty. This is an incredible song, and I can feel her emotions in the song. That's one of the things that I'll say about Stevie Nicks. There are a lot of people that can sing a song. There aren't a lot of people that can really move a crowd. I don't mean like in a a party-type atmosphere, you know, when everybody's drunk or whatever, and they, they drop some funky bass line or something like that. That's not what I mean. But somebody that can really elicit emotion from their listener, there are a few people that have that like Stevie Nicks does. And that's one of these songs where you can feel it. There are times, like, you listen to Stevie Nicks and you feel like she is singing to you. It's to you. And it's so easy to, uh, to go down memory lane when you listen to her because there is such authenticity in her voice. Number two, and I uh, discussed this with my children, too. We laughed about, there was a TikTok video that came out here several months ago of a guy on a skateboard, and uh, I guess he was drinking some Mountain Dew or whatever, drinking something and um people like oh my gosh what is that song i was appalled i was absolutely appalled the song is dreams dreams by fleetwood mac and i share with you if your children don't know dreams from fleetwood mac I, i may need to turn you in if you haven't shared the gift of stevie stevie Nicks, that might be considered child abuse man all my kids know it and my and Mia, my youngest, she, my youngest daughter, she laughs about that, that. There were so many friends of hers who were like, oh, they're, they're listening to songs. Like, hey, you're in a Fleetwood Mac. Well, I just heard this song on TikTok. And you know what? If that's what it takes to get good music listened to by today's youth, then so be it. But Dreams, and it's good to see it have like a, another return and revisit another generation, whether it be by social media or not. The video was kind of goofy anyway. But people are like, oh, my gosh, what is that song? But number one, I don't know if there has been many songs written or performed better than this one. There have been some great ones. I've shared with you on this show, there have been some, in my mind, some perfect songs. This is one of them. And it's Landslide from Fleetwood Mac. And it starts with Lindsey Buckingham, just an incredible guitar player. He's so underrated. Got not even use a pick, man. He just plucks. And he's just that opening bar, and he just kind of plucks you in. And next thing you know stevie is just soothing his soul man i love that song i think it's the greatest fleetwood mac song in many respects and it's certainly the best stevie nicks song and one of the best songs in the history of american music and perhaps all of music around the world it's been covered by a ton of people but nobody has ever done it better than stevie nicks has done it so there you go your top 10 stevie nicks songs and i'm sure there'll be somebody who'll say hey stevie you didn't get this one anyway well, that's cool because then I'll listen to that one. And maybe maybe we just disagree on it. We talked about 13 tracks today. Probably could have talked about 30 easily because that's how talented she is and that's how long and expansive her career has been. So be sure to listen to that today. And if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. And then, of course, you can hit up Izzy and Roy. Roy puts these things on Spotify for you guys. You can follow him at dogmatic, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Find him on Spotify on that same nomenclature. And then, of course, our good friend Izzy Mandelbaum. And uh, I hope you don't think you're better than him because if you do, it's go time. Does a great job putting this out for us on Apple Music. So reach out. Let me know if you've got ideas. We're going to try to run through some of your requests here the next couple of weeks. All right. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Good friends of yours, good friends of mine. Good friends to the Mississippi State family. Stand to man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody down there will treat you like family because in their mind you are family. Simple as that. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web. You can find them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, bucks, absolutely incomplete. You may have saw today on social media advertising those nice lined fleeces with the trendy M over S logo. That's the defending National champion M over S. Be sure and check that out. It's going to be cold the early part of baseball season. You're going to want to be here. Represent the brand with some new maroon and white threads. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code b s r all right the uh, mississippi state men will be back in action if all things go according to plan this saturday evening against uh old miss a big ball game to say the least let's take some time to look at what the rebels have done this year eight and five on the year Shared a little bit about them earlier in the week. Of course, they uh, they get off to a pretty good start, knocking off UNO and Charleston Southern. Pretty impressive in those victories. They lose to Marquette, beat Elon, lose to Boise State by 10. Then they bounce back and beat Valley. They beat Ryder. The big win this year was a four-point win in Oxford over Memphis. And they turn around and just look abysmal a week later against Western Kentucky out in Atlanta, Georgia. Lose that game 71-48. Winners over middle Tennessee State by 10, an eight point win against Dayton. Then they lose to Sanford. It's like just when you think they kind of, they're kind of doing what Mississippi State did last year. It's like you get everybody on the bandwagon, and then you have some unexplainable loss. The game against Florida was postponed. They opened SEC play with a 66 60 loss. I, if I read correctly, they did not trail in regulation. And then lost in overtime. Again, 66-60 losers to Tennessee. And then they will host Mississippi State uh, at 7.30 p.m. this Saturday evening. That is an SEC network broadcast, so you should be able to watch that from home if you don't want to make the trip up there. But let's kind of get to know the Rebels a little bit better. And again, you know, an 8-5 and year... You look at it and say, hey, it's not too bad. But when you consider some of those non-conference losses, you can see why some of the Ole Miss folks have kind of been somewhat disenchanted. Matter of fact, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, fire Kermit posts over there. I don't think that's going to happen by any stretch. But uh, Rebels averaging 69.6 points a game. That's pretty nice. Allowing 63.6. So, you know, again, they've kind of played to their competition. Again, not a lot of blowout wins or losses, but there have been a couple of each. Uh, as a group, they're shooting 42.9%, allowing 40.9%. So, again, very similar. Very similar numbers here. From the three-point line, they're 31.9%, allowing 292 That That might change against us. We don't defend the perimeter exceptionally well. And we haven't really shot it exceptionally well from beyond the arc this year, too. But uh, we'll see how things progress. I don't think this is a matchup you look at and say, hey, this is – this is one where states going to really struggle. I think it'll be very much a coin flip game. Rebounding, again, the numbers for the Rebels very similar. 37 December 37 boards a game, allowing 36. Could be the difference. We're a very good rebounding team or we can be when we're healthy. Dishing out 14.2 assists per game, allowing 14.6. It's pretty crazy. Now, turnovers has been interesting. They have generated some turnovers. They're turning the ball over 12.7 times a game but are forcing 15.5 turnovers uh, per game. They're converting those pretty well, too, 16.5 points per game off of turnovers and then allowing 10.5 off turnovers. It's just a turnover ratio for them, 1.1 and then 0.9. So, again, you look at these numbers and you say, hey, Not a lot of difference between Ole Miss and the teams they play. Looking at steals, 8.1 a game, allowing 6.5. We have been a little handsy at times. We can kind of get out there and make some things happen, force some turnovers. They blocked his 2.9 shots per game. Opponents have blocked 3.2. So you can kind of see. I mean, the record kind of stands to reason when you break these numbers down and you look at this and say, hey, they're not substantially better than their opponents at really much of anything. Jarkel Joyner has played in 12 games for them, leads the program at 14.8 points per game. He's pulled down 42 rebounds as well. 15 steals, 12 turnovers, 36 assists. Uh, Deshaun Ruffin played in just five games for them, coming in off the bench for them, but has been very effective when given an opportunity, averaging just over 18 minutes a game, just under 19. Uh, Eleven points per game. That's your only two double-digit scores. It has kind of been a by-committee approach for the uh, for the rebels. Uh, Jameen Breakfield is a guy that's done a pretty good job for them as well. Eight point eight points a game. Pulled down a total of fifty-nine boards. The leading rebounder is uh, Niger Brooks, a hundred and three, averaging eight point seven points uh, per game. Also leads the team in personal fouls in 37. You expect that with interior play. Also has 12 blocks, which also leads the team. Pretty handsy himself with 12 steals, which is among the team leaders. The uh, the best theft thief is Luis Rodriguez. 20 steals on the year. Also has three blocks uh, to go along with that. And so there's not somebody you look at you say, hey, I've got a game plan around this guy, even though Joiner would probably be The one guy you look at, he leads a team and made three-point baskets with 22. Also leads them with attempts at 62, shooting 30, just over 35%. Ty Fagan's a guy a little more limited in his attempts, but is hitting just over 40%. Austin Crowley, 11 for 30, uh, almost 37% for him. And free throw shooting as a team, shooting just 69%, which is nice in some circles. The starters have been decent. Deshaun Ruffin, just 18 of 25 on the year, 72%. Brakefield, 15 of 21. Brooks, 21 of 32. That's right at 66%. Uh, Ty Fagan's a guy you'd love to foul with the clock winding down. Chances are he won't be on the floor shooting just 50%. So as a team, not doing great. The best pre-throw shooter, obviously, is Joyner at 84.6%. He's 33 of 39 on the year interesting to say the least you know they haven't played a lot of conference numbers so there's not a lot of comparison at this point that you can make uh, but when you look at this group and you look at the record it all again kind of stands to reason this is a team obviously that's still kind of finding a sense of itself and a true identity uh, offensively and so again you've got one starter regular starter averaging in double figures Deshaun Ruffin's the guy we talked about earlier just has started just one game uh, for them Brooks is the only guy that started all 13 games. Even though Rodriguez has been very involved, missed just the one game uh, as a starter, but uh, has participated in 13 games. So they're still selling the lineup, much like many of us. You'd like to do that in a non-conference. But, uh, again, a team when you look at, this is a solid team. And, you know, emotionally, they're going to be up to play the game. Kermit will have them up and ready to go. This is a chance for them to kind of get their fan base behind them. I think that's what we all expect. You know, looking at you know, minutes played, uh, Joyner leads the team, 400 minutes. Brooks, 345. Luis Rodriguez, 325. Brakefield, uh 320. Matthew Morrell, 299. And he has kind of been a part-time starter for them. Started six games and has appeared in seven others. They do get a little deeper than perhaps some other teams do. Sammy Hunter is a guy that has played in all 13 games but hasn't started any averaging right at 10 minutes per contest. And so interesting numbers when you look at this. We'll see how things kind of progress with this this Ole Miss team. But a lot of people you know, felt that they were a team that should make the tournament. Now it's probably time for them to start turning it on. Again, kind of up and down this year, to say the least. Uh, their high point of the year, they scored 93 points against Charleston Southern. Also, they're probably their best – shooting performance of the year. They shot it 75 times, made 38, knocked down 11 threes. Also knocked down 11 against Tennessee. So we should expect to see a lot of three-point attempts. Their season-high 31 against Ryder did a really good job at the free throw line against Memphis. That proved to be the difference in the ball game. They were 23 of 29 in that ballgame. We mentioned those three point attempts, they pulled down fifty seven rebounds against Ryder. It kinda of goes to you know, kinda of stands to reason too. you shoot as much as you do from the perimeter, you're gonna have some opportunities to pull down some rebounds. Very, very prolific defensively against Tennessee, twelve steals in that ball game. Also turned it over twenty seven times. And again a game that I'm sure they'll tell you they should have won. I don't think there's any question. They should have won the game. They didn't. So we'll see how things go. I'd love to say that we're going to win this game. I believe we can win this game. I think it's really going to be about managing emotions in this game. Can we go up there and play within ourselves, kind of understanding the importance of the game? The thing that I have learned, and I think Andy Kennedy did a great job of this when he was there. He made the game to be a big deal. Made it a big deal. And, of course, the final game that he coached was here in Humphrey Coliseum and State just absolutely destroyed Ole Miss. But Andy Kennedy really swung the series in their favor because he placed a great emphasis on it now granted part of that too is you know we were still kind of finding a sense of ourselves we were kind of lost in the wilderness a little bit i don't know how ben howland handles things behind the scenes but this does not appear to be a quote rivalry game the way that it once was you know when rick Stansberry was here it's one we had to have when Richard Williams was here, it's when we had to have. And not just because of the fact they were the in-state rival. I mean, there were some very, very good all Miss teams at the time. And so it was an important SEC game. It wasn't just a battle for in-state bragging rights. It was a chance for us to go get a big win and help ourselves in the RPI and now the net. Uh, so we'll see how things, you know, go for this. But we have a chance to go win this ball game. Uh, if we go out there and can defend the perimeter just a little bit, I think we have an edge on the boards. I think you could see State win this game on the road, which would be huge for this program. I've shared with you guys before, I still feel pretty good about this men's basketball team. It would be easy to say, well, you know, what's not going to work out? You know, and, and listen, I think I'm pretty honest when it comes to uh, to the Ben Howe and tenure. But it's a big game. This is a huge game for Mississippi State. I think everybody that knows anything about it, not just because it's – kermit and the rebels and you know a team that basically is similarly situated with us within the sec conference we're probably right there on the same tier this is a chance for us to get a leg up you had the big win against arkansas we were outstanding and hate that the missouri game got postponed number one i felt it was a game that we could win but also too felt like we were kind of on a roll you know, 84-63 winners over Winthrop and then 81-68 winners against Arkansas. Felt like that we were kind of beginning to play our best basketball of the early season. And now we get some time off. Uh, so don't know how much that will impact us, but I told you guys before, this first three games were very, very important to the schedule. Well, now one of those games has been postponed and you won the first one. You win this game against Ole Miss, things really start beginning to set up pretty well for you. It's still the SEC, and there's still a lot of games to play. But to get off to a 2-0 start I think is huge for this team and also, too, for the confidence of this team in one another and to kind of draw the fans. And the fans have done a pretty good job. And we'll get a chance to see that again. It's a Wednesday tip, 6 p.m., against Georgia. And Ben Howen has done a really good job against Tom Crean in Georgia the past few years. So that's the game you look at and say, you know, that's a game we should probably win. Then, of course, next Saturday we get Alabama before we pack our bags to go to Florida. Alabama has always been a difficult matchup for us. They will be again this year. But you begin to kind of look ahead here and say, if you find a way to win this one, you knock, knock off Georgia, you got a chance to be 4-0 going to Florida. And that's, again, getting the cart before the horse a little bit. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. I still believe that this team can and will make the NCAA tournament. I may not feel that way two weeks from now. But that's how I feel today. And so you start stacking some wins in SEC play, and all of a sudden you have more people that are interested in coming to the ball games. And you start looking ahead, too. The first home game after that trip to Florida, that's the Rebels. That would be a huge game. It's a Saturday afternoon game, 2 or 3 p.m. game. So if State can handle business here in the next two weeks, you got a chance to have a really, really big crowd for the Ole Miss game at 3 p.m. on the 22nd. So it's not that far away. And, again, a chance to get an Ole Miss team. It's probably middle of the pack. You know, Kermit will have them up to play. But you could find a way to get, you know, start getting ready to get into that big 12 challenge you know with a winning record i think you can start feeling good about state's tournament prospects And so again it's one game at a time and i think we can all begin to say you know what a this is a team that has some talent and when they play up to their potential they can play with just about anybody so we'll see how things go but uh, i do think state has a really good chance to go to Ole miss and win this basketball game but again The emotional factor of this game, I think it could be the determining factor. We don't have a ton of Mississippi kids on this roster. Ole Miss has a few. They have Kermit, a guy that fully understands what this game means, not just for his team, but the perception of each program, what it means in recruiting, what it means within the media. You got to find a way to go win this game if you're Ben Howland. You got a really good chance to get off to a good start and to be 2-0 after take, taking care of an Arkansas team that many people expect to be in the tournament and then having a chance to go play Ole Miss that looked pretty good against Tennessee knocking down some shots from outside you can go out there and make those guys play a little defense you got a chance So don't want to spend a lot of time belaboring the point but uh, eager to see what we do uh, Saturday night final segment of the show brought to you by Portico Brooks Bryan is my friend he'll be your friend too i shared with you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. Brooks is part of a great group that is bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville. Brooks cares about Starkville, cares about Mississippi State, cares about you. Cares so much he wanted me to give you his personal cell number. And you can get more information with him about Portico. Let me give you the number now. It's 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And here's the deal. Portico is just just over a mile away from campus. Very convenient. Close enough for convenience, far enough away to have a little privacy. It's tucked away over there off of Old West Point Road, so you're not out there by the dorms. You're not on Fraternity Road, but you might as well be When you think about how close you are to campus but when you think about hey i'm raising a family i want to have a little privacy that's what you're going to have it's one of these neighborhoods kind of in the country if you know what i'm saying you take that turn off of 82 on a 12. the very first right is old west point road take that the very first right is pat station road takes you across old west point road and the next thing you know you're portico go check it out you can get a two-bedroom two-bath home up to a four-bedroom four-bath home And here's the deal. If you're not in any hurry to move, if you're thinking, hey, we're going to do it after the school year, now's the time to make the move because then you can pick out your lot and pick out your house plans then have an opportunity to have some say in how the home is built. That's a pretty cool thing. Whether it be your primary residence or a secondary home, perhaps your ballgame weekend retreat, maybe it's an investment property, you're going to Airbnb that thing out, Brooks is the guy to talk to. Absolutely without fail. Very, very easy guy to talk to. Uh, I've told him so many times before, it's so great to see former players kind of invested in our community, and, and I think we should support that whenever we can, whether they open restaurants or you know businesses around town or whatever. It's good to see people giving back to the Greater Starkville area, and that's exactly what's happening here. Brooks, again, part of a great group of investors that are making this thing a reality. So, again, give Brooks a call today and make Portico your next move all right let's talk a little recruiting in the time that we have left together today not a lot going on right now but business is about to pick up so the dead period runs through the 13th a lot of people don't fully appreciate what that means but let me share this with you the dead period coaches and players can still talk and of course players can call coaches as much as they want to coaches pick up the phone now We can't do any off-campus recruiting, and we can't do any on-campus recruiting. You can say, well, Steve, I've read that some schools are hosting visitors. Well, yes, for mid-year transfers, you can host visitors up to seven days before the spring semester begins. So you couldn't have a high school guy unless he's an early enrollment guy. You couldn't have a JUCO guy unless he's an early enrollment guy. So for us, seven days from the beginning of the spring semester would be the 11th. And so we don't gain a whole lot. You know, maybe there would be a mid-week visitor. Maybe there's a guy that's like, hey, I'm going to visit here that weekend. Would love to see Mississippi State. So it's not totally out of the question. It's not anything that I expect to happen right now, though. But with these transfer portal situations happening basically every day, every time you turn around, there's a new name in the portal. There's a guy within our conference. Sometimes there's a guy on our team in the portal. So things change rapidly. So you may run across a guy here this weekend. And it's like, hey, coach, I'd love to give Mississippi State an opportunity. However, I'm going I'm to visiting you know, South Carolina the weekend of the 14th and 15th. I'd love to see you guys before then because I want to make my decision uh, that Monday. So there is conceivably a way you could put that together. Just not expecting at this point. So at this point, we're not expecting any visitors on campus this weekend or even next week. And so we'll begin to begin host visitors again and uh you know you'll have that weekend and of course uh, basically three weekends in january and then things go dead again i'm not going to chase that old rabbit trail about the early signing period but you'll have three official visit weekends now i don't expect there to be huge official visit weekends down the stretch you've already got 20 guys signed now state now i guess has seven guys this year in the portal now it's a little more technical than that you can't just say well we lost seven you only get them back if everybody is in good academic shape and so if that's the case then we'd get all those guys but you know we could sign you know right around 30 players give or take one or two we had 26 grants available when we opened the december signing period we've used 20 of those okay so that means you have six available then you've had these guys go in the portal. You know, Quinn Torber, of course, uh, Calvin McMigan, Aaron Odom, and uh, you've had some guys go pro. So you've got right at 30, 31 spots you can work with right now. So th- and expect State to use them all. You know, maybe you save one, maybe two for the next year, but with this one-year exception, I would suspect you're going to sign all the way up to the full 85. That's the whole point. And the NCAA granting this exception is to allow teams that have had a lot of guys transfer out the opportunity to get back to 85. As I shared on Wednesday's show, I don't think a one-year exemption is going to be enough. Unless they tweak the transfer portal, we're going to have to make these adjustments probably every three years or so. If not, you're going to have some teams, especially some of these G5 teams, you're going to have a lot of these teams that are going to be you know, well under 85. So we were going to have a good chance to hit 85 even without the transfers. But now that we've got this rule, we need to basically take it to replace some guys, perhaps, that are leaving the program that are not expected to make a contribution and bring some guys in that can. Now, we need some guys to make us a better football team in 2022. We've talked about kickers. I I still think State is in a good position with Massimo Biscardi, who was a Luke Rosa finalist or Luke Rosa nominee uh, from Coastal Carolina. He got banged up a little bit this year, has a COVID year available, and so he is in the portal I'm not ready to say at this point that State's the favorite, but State is among the favorites. And I believe State's opportunity uh, is one that he appears to have some significant interest in. And so we'll see how things progress there. Again, not ready to call that one, uh, but I do like the way it's trending. Now, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Marcus Banks. Now, Miami continues to call him basically every day. They haven't quit, nor should they quit. Now, I've heard some things privately that they're beginning to kind of see the writing on the wall. But, you know, when you've still got basically another week to go to figure this thing out, you know, why would you stop recruiting them? If there's nothing to inhibit you from doing so. So Miami is still recruiting them. But Banks is still holding firm to his commitment. That's not to say that we're home free here. I feel like we're going to be okay. I do. But I also know that Miami hadn't given up. Don't know if they're quite as, you know, maybe fervent in their attempt as they were because he was ready to commit to Miami and then State and Jason Washington and Darcy McBath got it done. So we're holding firm there and obviously they're saying, hey, well, they went out and signed this junior college guy. And so where are you going to fit? You know, where do you fit? They got a high school guy coming in. They got a junior college guy coming in. They got Emmanuel Forbes coming out. So where are you going to play? And so that's kind of the angle they're taking. It's like, hey, you come here. We're losing guys at corner. They've already replaced their Martin Emerson's loss with DeCarlos Nicholson. So where do you fit? And so our guys are having to say, hey, you know what? Hey, DeCarlos still kind of learning to play corner. You know, you're going to have a chance to compete for that spot just like he is. And then the other guy will play second team. But the reality of it is, is you know, there's some recruit speak going on as well. I think everybody kind of sees it for what it is. But as of today, we still feel pretty good about where we stand. Marcus Banks, obviously, has already committed to Mississippi State. It's just a matter of finishing. And, of course, you know, this time next week, everybody's going to be making the move to campus. They're going to be getting ready to report. And so you get him in here, you get him signed up, you get him in the dorm, you know, then all of a sudden things, you know, then you can kind of feel a little bit better. Once he's on campus, you can feel a whole lot better about that. And, again, I don't feel bad about it now. But I've also been around long enough to know that it ain't over until it's over. Now, what are we going to do at these other corner spots? Well, you know, we have gotten a little bit older. Um, you know, last year, we went out and signed Jay Hampton and William Hardrick late. Now, Jay is a guy that's still kind of learning to play corner. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if you don't move him to wide receiver, honestly. He was kind of a high school receiver by trade, made the North, Owl, North south all-star game as a wide receiver you know and if he is having some trouble picking this thing up move him to receiver we're going we're going to have some needs there right and so that may happen can't say that it's certain to happen i think it depends on who all wants to come you know if we if we strike well with receivers maybe you keep him at corner let him figure it out um william hardrick is a guy we added late to a lot of people kind of panned that decision i've spoke to darcel mcbath during ball practices they love william hardrick he's really beginning to kind of pick it up and again he was a corner by trade this is a guy that played a lot of defensive back in high school and so he was an arkansas state commitment we took him late and a lot of people are like what are we doing but as of now it looks like he's progressing well then you bring in out davian collins and so you would like to have another younger corner you feel good about DeCarlos Nicholson. You feel good about Marcus Banks. But, you know, those guys have two years at most. And then you begin to think about this deal and say, okay, well we need to get some younger guys in the developmental pipeline so we're not constantly having to go get a stopgap guy to portal. You know, there's going to be some years, obviously, where you have needs you've got to fill in the portal there there is a resource for you. But when you become reliant on the portal, more so than your ability to coach and develop players, that is not sustainable. If you can coach and you can evaluate, you can develop, that is sustainable. But having to bet on signing a guy in January and then hoping he can be a save for your program come August, you know that might work this year, but may not work next year. As we talked about before, I mean, you're going to get about a 50 to 60% success ratio when it comes to transfers. You know, a couple of years ago, State did exceptionally well in the junior college ranks. You remember that year, we signed Montez Sweat, Chauncey Rivers, John, uh, Jonathan Abram you know, it was a great great class we did really well and that's for junior college guys or mid-year enrollment guys and so but a lot of those guys were d1 bounce backs and so this kind of gives you the ability to target those kinds of players but the reason we remember that class so fondly is because of the fact those guys contributed and the thing that I go back to there is a reason these guys are in the portal and that's not to say that all of them are negative. We've discussed some of our players, and they're in the portal to find more playing time. But at the end of the day, let me put my coach hat here on here for a second. You know, it's one thing, if a guy is not playing at Alabama, I feel a little bit better about that. And people would say, well, are you saying Alabama is better than us? Yes, yes, I am. I, I am saying that, and I'm, I, you don't need me to say it. The record book shows that. And so versus a guy that's not playing at Alabama, I consider, well, maybe – you know, when you're signing four- and five-star kids every year, maybe this is the guy that got lost on the shuffle. I feel a little bit differently about the kid, you know, from Bug Tussle Tech that's not playing. I mean, if you're not playing at Arkansas State, you're not going to play at Mississippi State. You know, if you're not playing at Louisiana Monroe, you're not going to play here. Now, if you were a three- or four-year starter up there and you've got your COVID year and you're trying to improve your NFL draft stock, well, then, yeah, I'm going to take a proven performer, but I'm not going to take a chance on some guy from a G5 program that can't play there. That'd make a lot of sense. I'd, I'd be better off going and getting a high school kid. I've got five years to use four years of eligibility and train him up in the way that I know how. So those are things you consider too. And there are a lot of defensive backs out there. I mean, we saw Arkansas has had a ton of guys go in the portal. A&M has had some guys go in the portal. You know, some guys that maybe have two to three years of availability left. You know, it looks like there is a problem at Arkansas. The whole secondary is leaving. Yeah, you know, what's that about? You know, how would you like to be those guys? I mean, you go out there and you win your ballgame and you're feeling great about life and you've got among the, you know, the nation's leaders of players in the transfer portal and you didn't even have a coaching change. You know, so that's something to think about. So if a guy is playing at Arkansas and wants to come here, well, yeah, I think I'm going to take that guy. But if you're not playing at Arkansas State, I'm not interested. But let's say, for example, you were a highly coveted player and you went to A&M and maybe there was a position coach change something like that or maybe you're from my area i'm a little more likely to listen to you i might take a chance on that guy and so there again just because these guys go in the portal doesn't necessarily mean they're a good fit for us because basically what we've seen and if you go back to last year you know we went out and got tyrell shavers we we had we had a connection with him uh through mason smith And it didn't work out, and it wasn't Mason Smith's fault. It's Tyrell Shaver's fault things didn't work out, and he didn't do a significant amount at San Diego State. We had a connection through Jason Washington to Jalen Green. We were able to get him almost immediately. We had a connection to Mekhi Polk because Mike Leach and the staff had recruited him when they were at Washington State. And so it's difficult to build a relationship with guys that you're unfamiliar with. So unless they have a tie – to this area, or a tie to Mississippi State, or a tie to one of our coaches, it's going to be difficult between here and the next two weeks to get some of those guys in the boat. And that's the thing you think about. It's like, oh, well, Steve, we got to February, the first Wednesday in February, but we don't with these transfers. And so you basically are on the clock right now to get the transfers in. And then you fill in the gaps with some high school guys after that, and we will take a high school or a young corner from the portal because you're okay with that guy developing a little bit. You're not looking for that guy to be an impact player. So there may be a redshirt freshman out there that's got four years of eligibility to play, maybe three year guy, and maybe if it's a guy out there that you look at and say, "Hey, this guy is probably better than some of the guys that we have down the depth chart," let's take him because we're not going to need him to play this year. We'll bring him in, we'll cultivate him, and then perhaps he's good to go next year and contribute as a two-deeper. So those are things you're kind of looking at. And again, we've got to find one tackle. We've got to find one. Uh, J.D. Dorenza, I believe things are kind of fading with him. He is the offensive tackle prospect, two-time All-American from Sacred Heart, played at the FCS level. His recruitment continues to explode. And he really didn't know what's going to happen. You know, he he is basically – I won't say he's looking to be guaranteed a job, but he's definitely looking at a situation where he's like, "Hey, I got to go in and play. I got to. I'm an NFL guy. I could go pro this year. I got to get on the field." And I don't know that he's going to get those assurances from some schools. Now, some people will tell him whatever they want to hear to get him on campus, but and you know maybe we should, you know, because he doesn't have the benefit of going in the portal. But uh, after this, but the reality of it is, you got to be smart in how you handle things. You can't put yourself in a situation. Because let's say, for an example, you tell a guy, okay, yeah, you're going to start, and then he goes through spring practice. Well, this guy's a grad transfer. He says, okay, well, cool, I'll just go ahead and transfer out and go somewhere else. I'll be there this fall instead of being here. So you've got to be mindful of what you do. All the recruiting talk, a lot of that's kind of died down a good bit. But things are about to get cranked up. We will start previewing official visitors this week over on Gene's page. And, uh, again, not expecting but maybe a handful per weekend, the next three weekends. But that'll be your visitors. And you know, there'll be some transfers that'll probably be in that second weekend because you can actually wait until the drop ad date, just as we did with Jalen Green last year. Yeah, and I go back, I forget about Jameer Calvin. Jameer Calvin's another guy. You know, we got him last year because of a connection to the Mike Leach system. He was at Washington State. And so you're more likely to get those guys than just having to cold call somebody and said, hey, you know, this is you know, Coach Mike Leach from Mississippi State. Maybe you've heard of me. We'd love to have you come be a part of our program. Oh, well, coach, I just got off the phone with so-and-so, and and they've got a donor that's going to give me a $50,000 name, image, and likeness agreement. If I come there, what can you guys do? You know, it's a different world in which we lead uh, these days, a different life we lead than we did, you know, maybe some years ago. So I share all that with you because I think it's important to understand recruiting business about to pick up again in a major way. And, again, the priorities for us, got to get two receivers in the portal, got to get two. Got to get an offensive tackle, possibly an edge guy if he's a difference maker. Got to get a corner. Think we would probably be good if we hang on to Marcus Banks. We got to get two impact safeties. Think we're good at linebacker. Feel like we're great at running back. So we'll figure some things out. But uh, that's again the priority targets: two receivers, one offensive lineman. That's three on offensive side of the football, an edge, and two impact safeties. That's the priority when the portal, because that's all you hear about this guy's leaving. You want to hear about some guys coming in, and that's what you're going to have here in the next few days. But again, there's going to be some other guys leave. Listen, uh, we're about uh, three weeks away from the ship date for Dogpile, thank goodness. And again, as I share with you guys, it'll be shipped from the printer to the publisher, and then I will sign books, and then it'll be shipped to you. So on or around 26th, 27th is when that thing will ship from the, the warehouse. And then we'll get these books out in the mail to you. And uh, I'm eager to get it done. You guys have been very patient with me, uh, even though it's not my fault. But uh, I'm the one that gets the messages. And thank you guys for being so kind and courteous. I mean, I have probably had 500 messages or a little bit more. And I've only had two that were negative. And I got one of those two pretty much turned around. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. We're all all excited when we buy something. I mean, it's like I'll buy something from Amazon and I'm ready to track my package, you know, as soon as... uh, the confirmation email comes through so i get it so if you haven't ordered yet and you'd like to go to dogpilethebook.com and you can order Dogpile, pile stark villains and alpha dogs right then and there if you're looking for blooms of oleander you get that through amazon we just talked about that barnesandnoble.com booksmiggin.com it was a lot of fun putting that thing together don't know if i'll ever do one of those again maybe in a couple of years we'll see you never know where life's going to take you it was a lot of fun putting a book of poetry together i still write poetry i just hadn't published it Uh, So we'll see how things progress. And again, so many of you have asked, and I thank you guys so much, you great Christmas friends, to share on social media your Stark Villains gear. People have said, hey, Steve, I saw that. Where do I get it? Very easy, starkvillains.com. T-shirts, hoodies, uh, in a a way, array of colors and styles. Be sure and check that out. Well, that's it for today. Again, I apologize for being a little bit late. We got that booster shot today, and it just took a while to get everything done. So we'll see you guys on Monday, hopefully recapping a great win on the hardwood uh, against the old Miss Rebels. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.